0: Or tell that person in high school how much you like them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. you have
1: an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com/slash host.
0: My guest today is Joe Good. Joe is an award-winning BBC radio presenter, broadcast journalist, actress, and YouTuber, and has recently started a national late-night show on BBC Radio. Jo started her career as an actress and is best remembered for her roles in Crossroads and Only Fools and Horses, as well as countless roles on stage, including educating Rita and touring with Derek Nemo's company all over the world. Jo began her radio career at BBC Radio in Brighton and in 2003 joined BBC Radio London, where she originally presented The Breakfast Show and then moved to Late Night with Joe Good and most recently presents the late-night weekends and Fridays and Saturdays across 40-plus BBC local radio stations in the UK. Her talents don't stop there. Jo's YouTube channel middle Age Minx has over 68,000 subscribers, and her lifestyle vlog covers her big passions that are fashion, beauty and London lifestyle. She also hosts chat show and fashion show Sheer Lux Gold and fashion shoots for the likes of Rick So. Jo published the book Barking Blondes with best friend Anna Webb, which recounts tales of their lives with their dogs, and they have been weekly dog experts on shows such as This Morning and cult TV series A Different Breed for Sky One. Jo lives in Marylebone with her dog Myrtle, and as someone who shows no signs of ever slowing down, I cannot wait to hear all about the Sliding Doors moments from her life so far. So, welcome to Sliding Doors, Jo. Do you know, uh, it's so interesting listening to all of that, but then I realise.
2: I am sixty-eight. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I was thinking that's a lot, and then I thought I'm sixty-eight, so it should be a lot, shouldn't
0: it? I mean, Joe does not look sixty-eight, and definitely isn't living a life of a sixty-eight-year-old. So, um, it's amazing. And Joe, this has been such a long time coming to have you on the podcast. So I'm so happy to have you here today. Um, and one thing I wanted to start with is we actually met in a sliding doors moment. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but. Um, someone pulled out of your late night show last minute and your producer rang me the night before um, at like 10 o'clock at night and said, are you free tomorrow night at 11 p.m.? Someone's pulled out and we want to have you on the show to talk about your podcast. And I was like, yes, of course. Um, And that's how we met because I came on last minute for you to interview me. And then I now come on Chewing the Fat. So it all started from that one person not coming on that day.
2: Do you know, I seriously, Jenny, had no idea because Mel, who's producing and setting up, I often don't speak to him throughout the day until I get into the studio. And sometimes, forgive me, I'm really late, so I run in (laughs) and he gives me the running order and he goes, this is who's on, this is who's on. I had no idea. What I will say, and obviously, if anyone is listening to this podcast, you can relate to this. Every time you come on and I introduce you in the way you've just introduced me, immediately people start to want to talk about their sliding door moments and I remember saying to you and my producer you've really hit on something here this is something that I've never heard anyone do before and everybody is eager to talk about their own moments so you yes very very clever and I know how you hit upon this idea so I'm sure you've given that in your podcast um, background but I know exactly how you came on this idea and truly Jenny it's absolutely inspired
0: Oh Joe, thank you. Well, I can't wait to hear your I've wanted to hear your sliding doors moments for so long now. So this is so good to have you on. And I mentioned there that you've started your new show um weekends national, across the across England broadcasting. How is your new show going? My new show
2: is going really well. In fact, um it is the whole reason I'm sitting here in front of you, the whole reason I'm doing the show is one of my sliding door moments, which we will go back um to later on. Um it's, it's been a bumpy ride, Jenny. You know the history of local radio. And um, and I this is for pure transparency. I've got this fantastic job, but as I've got this job, others lost their job so that I mm-hmm. got this job. So it's a double-edged sword. All of us in radio are in it for the passion. It's not certainly not for the money. It's because we love radio. Yeah. And the people who were doing... Uh, many of the late night shows that I am now covering um, will have sadly lost their jobs. Hopefully, and I'm I'm hoping the BBC tr- treats everybody fairly, so many of them will have been given other positions. Um, so I am absolutely loving what I do, but I know that it comes as, at the price of others having lost their jobs. So I have to be very careful that I don't, you know, my. I wanted to plaster it all over social media, yeah. but I just thought I can't do that because it could have been me that was one of the casualties of it. I was just very lucky that um, I was chosen to, you know, to, to cover all the all the local stations myself and Becky who does the others. Um, but I can't, you know, Jenny, you've been on it, and the joy of sitting down and the phones going crazy because whatever you ask the listeners. You're, you know, the potential is five and a half million listeners. Yeah, it's incredible. So I like to think we get those every night. I'm not sure what we do, <laughs> but that's the potential. But yeah, thank you. I'm loving it.
0: Yeah. And you know what? Like, it must be such an honor and a privilege to know that, especially with the late night show, to know that you're kind of in you know in people's homes talking to people that might be like sat at home on their own might be lonely working shifts and knowing you know you talk about such like relevant topics but you also talk about them in such a relatable funny engaging way and do you do you often try and think about the audiences that are sat at home or sat at work listening to you
2: It's interesting, I've done late night radio for many years now, I've been all around the dial, Um, but I've always said there are two times to be on the radio as a presenter, which is The Breakfast Show, which is the flagship show for any station, or Late Night, because Late Night is in a world of its own, you know, we used to, Mel the producer and I used to call everyone the creatures of the night, (laughs) because you will (laughs) get these... True. It is. You you are broadcasting to people. It is a wonderful feeling because people are quite unguarded about how they, they speak to you. People are in all different situations. We have shift workers. We have people who are carers who are up all night caring for people. We have insomniacs. We have people who have come in clubbing from club. You know, the audience is so their stories are so diverse and it's tapping into those stories and now all the accents you know I was just broadcasting to London and down south now it's everywhere like you know Jersey just everywhere and you and you hear all these accents and you just think this is wonderful. Everyone's in their different situation, different, even almost different climate yeah. north to east. Do you
0: know what it's like? Totally. As a Mancunian, I definitely know that climate is yes, different. Yes. Um, so I'd love, you know, we've spoken about your amazing life so far, but I'd really love to take it back and learn a little bit about what Jo was like when she was younger. So, you know, we said there that you started off your career by being an actress. Was that always the dream for you growing up?
2: Yes I, um, yes, I was a natural born show off and I've realised, you know, the age I'm at, I start to look back at my life and my brother is extremely introvert. In fact, he winces every time I speak because I'm so loud and he's so quiet and I was like this performing monkey growing up. I, yeah. You know, I literally was this Violet Elizabeth standing on tables, tap dancing and all the rest. It was It, it was in me to show off. Um, So it was inevitable, really, I would earn my living doing that. I feel sorry for people who've never been able to tap into that, you know, but you you see them in all walks of life. The show-off in the office, the show-off on the factory floor, the show-off in the shop, you see them everywhere. But I was very lucky I could tap into it. So, um, yeah, I trained then as a dancer. And then I went to drama school and I have no academic qualifications whatsoever, really? Jenny. Wow. No,
0: none. Amazing. None. And what was your first acting gig? So like, do you remember kind of getting that first job and how that felt? Obviously, if you'd been like that as a child, it must have been like a dream come true. It was because in my day
2: and um, I'm sure many actors listening, of my generation older and slightly younger you couldn't work without an equity card mm-hmm. um and you couldn't get an equity card because they were limited you had to be you had to be part of the actors union to have work to be paid professionally that was the legality of it so to get an equity card you would Sometimes you had to become an assistant stage manager and get in on the technical crew. I got my equity card by playing a broccoli leaf in Bradford. (laughs) I played Brenda Broccoli. And you had to work for 40 weeks to get your equity card. So a company had to say, yes, we want this person for 40 weeks. So I played Brenda Broccoli in Bradford um, for 40 weeks for a children's theatre company. And that's how I got my equity card. Um, and then that once you've got your equity card, you can then get an agent and then you're in the whole swim with all the actors. And that's what's different now. Now, anybody, anyone sitting in their bedroom can think, I want to I want to yeah. be an actress. I'll go for any audition I want. And there's, you know, it's good and bad. I don't know what's the right way. I suppose my generation were lucky because we, we didn't compete against so many other people. It was mm. a small pool yeah. of people who were part of this union. And now it's... A free for
0: all. Yeah, and that's kind of that work hard ethic as well, of like you had to really work hard to get to where you kind of even just the first step. And you've done so much TV and stage work. What do you prefer doing? So, like, when you look back at your acting career, did you love the TV stuff more? Did you love being on stage?
2: I love, I mean, it's so interesting, The Only Fools and Horses. I was only in one episode of Only Fools and Horses. But it has paid me, so goodness knows what those two boys are earning. Because <laughs> it has paid me probably every month. I'll get a residual from that one episode. Amazing. Um, you know, I've gone on flights, international flights, and it's being shown on the flight. Um, but what was interesting about that was I remember when it when we did it, there were it, there were no DVDs. There was nothing. There was nothing digital. But then DVDs started to come out, and I remember equity really fighting for actors to have royalties from DVDs. Mm. And it was a massive deal because I literally, as I said, every month will get a residual or it will have been shown in Kuala Lumpur or it would have been shown, you know, in Fiji or something. Um, So in answer to your question, that for me is very lucrative. That was lucrative. You know, if you got a good series, um, it will earn you money when you've retired. But there is, and and also that's quite a good example because it was recorded in front of a live audience. So it was wonderful. You got your laughs, you know, there was adrenaline before you did it. It was a fantastic show to do. Otherwise, um, I would say it's theatre because theatre is like radio, like live radio. You're only as good as what you've just said. Exactly. Um, And, you know, theatre was that wonderful adrenaline boost of taking the deep breath, going on stage. And it's just like radio. You know, you take a deep breath, you open the mic and you're off. And I love that.
0: I totally get that. And like, there is something just really special, I think, about seeing your audience. Because, you know, you do, as you say, you don't get that with the radio and you get that instant feedback when you're on stage. And I know we're going to talk more about kind of your actual radio career, but then how did you make the, the leap then from going from being an actress to going into kind of your first job in radio?
2: I was in a soap opera, Called Crossroads. Oh, I love it. it. I used
0: to love. Honestly, I know I'm a bit young for it, but I used to watch it when I was younger. You did you watch it? The original one? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. When I was younger. Yeah. Well, so that noise, dong, 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 also puts the fear of God into me because (laughs) there was no. We recorded that as live. Would you believe it was terrifying? But it was a laugh, and I was in that for four years, and it earned me. It earned me my first flat um, and it earned me, it was like danger money because in those days, and we're talking the eighties, soap operas weren't given the credibility they're given now. Like if you come out of EastEnders or Hollyoaks, people think great. If you came out of Crossroads, people would be, oh my God, she was in Crossroads (laughs) because it was ridiculed. Um, So I came out of Crossroads and I did Educating Rita the tour off the back of Crossroads. So I was billed as from Crossroads. Then I wasn't. Then I couldn't get, you know, love nor money. I couldn't get work because I was known so much for Crossroads. Really? Gosh,
0: it's so I was funny. really
2: tainted by it.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and you couldn't cross pollinate like you can now. People don't care if you're from Downton Abbey or from people, you know. But in those days, it was God. She's from a Crossroads. So I ended up um, going to Brighton, and lots of people. Brighton is the end of the line, and I talk about Brighton on my show so much because. I went down to Brighton, as do loads of actors, when they're just running out of, you know, of luck. Yes. You go down to Brighton and there are all these actors down there. I remember going out for a loaf of bread and I just met all these actors that I had seen <laughs> for years, all living in Brighton because the rents are cheap, the property's cheap compared to London, um, and it's a great life. You sit on yeah. the beach. Um, and then the local, local radio, which was BBC Southern Counties, they asked me to come in and do a paper review as a celebrity mm-hmm. on the breakfast show. And Jenny, you know what I'm like. I'm very loud. I'm very opinionated, yeah. and I had opinions on. And they went, "Oh my gosh, let's give her a show." I Truly, mean. they gave me a show um, because of uh, because I was I was a minor celebrity, and also I had a lot of gob, <laughs> and so um, and so that's how but I you got, were you yeah that's how I got yeah. into
0: it. Amazing. I mean, that's an incredible sliding doors moment as it is, because as you say, it really shows that you never know where one conversation can lead to. And, you know, that's built the whole path of kind of where you are now in your career. And I did want to ask you, are you someone, do you kind of create goals for yourself in life? You know, you do so much stuff. I'm in awe of, you know, your vlog, you know, you're running around looking glamorous you know at fashion events and all this type of stuff do you have goals that you work towards of what you want to achieve or do you just kind of grasp opportunities as they come do you know it's very interesting because
2: the i am it's ex- thinking you know you asked me to choose my three sliding doors moments and as everyone will hear i live an extremely hedonistic life very hedonistic and it's my life i am extremely ambitious mm-hmm. i am very um independent, so independent. I mean, you know, Jenny, you know my background. I don't have a partner. You know, I. we can talk about that in one of my sliding, <laughs> actually actually. Um, I have a dog which is about as big a responsibility as I can look after. I have my aging mum who I adore. She's 99 and she's now a responsibility. But otherwise I have constructed my life that it is the world according to Joe Good. Yeah. And I just feel that I, you know, I unreservedly tell everyone, that I put myself first, and I work really, really hard. And I've and even these days, you know, it's much more difficult for people in media to get ahead. It's far more difficult, but I still believe. I sound like some old bloody prophet, Not... but I do believe that every hour of work you put in, you'll get payback. Mm-hmm. I truly believe that. You know, there are days when you just think, "I just want to sit and stream Netflix or something." I make myself go out yeah. and put some work in because you do get payback.
0: Yeah, Joe, you are an inspiration, and it's an amazing outlook and way to look at life. And do you feel like you are living your best life at the moment? Yes,
2: yes, yeah, totally, I do. And what upsets me, Jenny, is like on my um, on my vlog when I parade around in ridiculous clothes and everything, and I get women co- writing in the comments. Oh, I wish I could do that. I wish I, and I always answer, and I go, why, why can't you? We're not talking about finances. We're not talking about you need to go and spend a lot of money. All I'm saying is, wear, go to, you know, just wear what you've got in your wardrobe that you just don't wear, or go to a charity shop and buy that faux fur that you really want, but you think I can't, because somewhere down the line especially for my generation women were told they can't and I yeah. don't know who's done this to them I don't know whether it's partners have done it to them their kids have done it to them their bosses you know because just you know honestly do what you want to do and yeah. I blow what people think I mean I will tell you Jenny I'm trolled as much as I'm adored yeah. I have so many trolls and you just delete 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 and think well, yeah. you're you know tough, tough. exactly I can't do you know
0: exactly. what I mean? Yeah 100% and I think you're right I think the world we live in today for all of the kind of bad things about you know social media and everything like that it's opened up a world of creativity and you're right you've just you are in control of your life your destiny you can't sit at home and just say I can't you've got to figure out ways to do it and it's you can start small but you never know buy that sequin dress parade around in it and you're a brilliant brilliant inspiration for that. And, and
2: also, do you know, like your parents have done a good job on you. you you're you sitting talking. You've invited a 68-year-old onto your very successful podcast. This would not have happened for my generation. You know, I didn't sit and talk to 68-year-olds. I just thought when I was your age, I, I mean, maybe I would have done if I was acting with them. But usually you just, nah, you know, youth is everything. But your parents have done a really good job that there is... You know, you know me, I work with very young people at work. Mm -hmm. They don't see me. I like to think they don't see me (laughs) as old. They just see me as one of them. And that's happened over time. You know, all this, you realize all these barriers people are breaking down. We're reaping the benefit of them. We are, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's like, it is, as you've said, it is, there's, everyone has an opportunity, especially with social media.
0: Definitely. You know, it's
2: the people's, it's the people's platform.
0: It hundred percent is. And Joe, whenever I'm around you talking to whatever, like age doesn't come into it. I know you keep mentioning how old you are, but honestly, like you are only as old as you feel. And it's, it's about, you know, it's about how you're, you're living your life inside your head and outwardly and the outlook that you have. And, you know, age is just a number and you definitely kind of, as I say, like, I think your vlog is so good because you are trying to show women that and you're doing such, such a good job at it. Um, So before we go on to talking about your sliding doors moments, I want to ask you, so I do know the answers to this, but I will ask you so that our listeners can find out. So first of all, have you seen the film Sliding Doors? You know I have. And you're a fan, aren't you?
2: I am a fan. And also I was re-watching it last night and I was just thinking, how much did I love Gwyneth's hair when it was short? Oh, yes. Didn't she look great with that
0: short hair? Yes. And no makeup. She hardly wore any makeup in there. I film. know, I know. So what do you believe in then when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So the theory of, you know, is life about timing, fake, coincidence, everything happening for a reason? What are your personal thoughts on it?
2: I think it's, oh my gosh. You see, I'd never really analyzed it till you'd come on my show. I took i, I looked at the film and took it on face value. I thought it was a great film. I loved the actors in it. I loved where it was shot. As I said to you, where I'm sitting, I can see a building it was used as an office block in it. And everyone goes, oh, that's the sliding doors building. Um, so I, I took it on face value. Real. I just saw a brilliant film. Since I've met you and started to think about sliding door moments, there are, and in my case, there are moments where it happens and there are no choices. So you look back on reflection and you think, golly, that was completely out of my hands. You know, I had no control in that and I am a control freak total control. For it. And I had no control. That was fate. That was whether it was meant to be, but it was circumstances took it. Mm-hmm. But there are others. And that's what I will talk about on this podcast, where you can, you're offered a choice and it's what you decide, the route you decide to go down. And the. in fact, Jenny, I wish I'd found this quote. I, I was going to do this. This sounds so pseudo intellectual. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. But I love Milton, right? Mm -hmm. And Milton on his blindness was a sonnet he wrote where he says, and I took the path less trod. Now I'm probably totally misquoting, but that's the sentiment. Mm -hmm. And that's, you go to the fork in the road and you take the well-trodden path where people are probably safe and familiar, or you take the path less trod, which is a bit risky. And for me... You know, he's Milton. <laughs> I bet
0: no one else has quoted Milton. No, oh, but it, it's, it's exactly the right thing to quote. because it? It's, it's, it really explains kind of the theory and kind of what we think. And I love the way that you've explained, you know, we have moments and we have decisions and they are different. You know, we have things out of our control, but in both of those situations, it's what you take from it and you know you can't change the past but you can you can look back and you can reflect you can pinpoint things and realize that you know if that hadn't happened that didn't happen which means that you can learn in the future that if things don't go your way you know good can come out of it or bad or just you know your life path that it's meant to be absolutely yeah I love that Joe. so here we go on to your sliding doors moment. So your first one is meeting my ex-husband in the green room of Worthing Theatre. We both ended up in a production of Gigi. We fell in love and married, bracket stupidly, a year later. So I really enjoy talking about these moments uh, because I think that, you know, even if relationships don't work in our lives, they can make a really big impact that kind of change our lives forever and put us on the right path. So... Do you want to take us back to 1977 and explain where you were in your career, how you met in the green room and why this was a sliding doors moment for you?
2: Um, I need to say that I never wanted to get married. As I said in my introduction to you, I'm not particularly the sort of person that needs to be tied to a partner. I never wanted a family. I never wanted children. You know, I, I wanted to just sail through on my own solo. So I was never looking for a husband, certainly not at a very young age. I'd only just come out of drama school. None of my friends were married, so it wasn't like I panicked and thought I needed a husband at all. Um, and I had um, come out of, uh, no, I, I, actually I hadn't gone into Crossroads at that stage. I hadn't come into Crossroads. I'd come out of drama school, I'd played Brenda Broccoli, mm-hmm. got my equity card and thought, right, I'm well on the way now to being a straight actress. And that was my intention. As I said to you earlier on, I'd also trained as a dancer, and I was a very good dancer. I was a rubbish singer, but I was a very good dancer. Mm. But I didn't want to end up doing chorus because I just thought, you know, you never get to speak or anything else. I wanted to be an actor. And I wrote to Worthing Rep. You wrote to all the reps in those days. and there, mm. there were reps. There was so many reps around the country. And you would send a 10 by 8 picture, and they would they would write back, can you believe any of this happened? They'd either write back or call you and say, we'd like to see you for an audition. And Nicholas Young, who was the director at Worthing Rep at the time, called me um, and said, cause I didn't have an agent. And he said, we would like to see you for Gigi, but for chorus. And I just thought, oh gosh, I, don't, I really don't want to be chorus because if you do chorus, you end up st- stuck at chorus. And I said to him, look, um, I really wanted a a featured role. I know I can't play Gigi because I can't sing, Mm -hmm. but there must be another role in there. And he said, no, there aren't. They're all much older. Gigi is the youngest, the only part part you could play. Um, You could understudy her, which obviously I couldn't because I couldn't sing. And he said, but why don't you just come down? We will see you. And then if there are any other future roles coming up for the rest of the season, um, we will have seen you. So I went down and did the dance audition at the pavilion down on the front in Worthing. I remember this, it was all dancers and dance auditions are quite ruthless. Yeah. It's, you know, step will change, do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I did it, you know, and my singing wasn't particularly good, but it wasn't, it was chorus singing, yeah. so it was fine. So cut a long story short, I got the train back up to London by the time I'd got to London he called me and said we'd like to offer you chorus in Gigi and I again I just I said oh my gosh I just i really I really didn't want to do this but I'm flattered can I just think about it so I remember go, calling my mum I used to talk to my mum about these sort of things all mm-hmm. the time and my mum was the next dancer actually and she said to me take it because You'll be near where my family lived. They lived in Sussex. And she went, you would be near where you went to school. Your friends can come and see you. It's your first show in a rep. So I went, okay, fine. So I will. I went down. And I remember there were, um, because my family lived very near, I thought I could save money on digs by staying with my family. Because yeah. by then I'd learned to drive. And I can drive to Worthing and do the show, rehearse, and drive back and stay with my family so I could... Save my subsistence, which was very important, because in rep you're paid almost nothing.
0: Yeah.
2: And um, I remember walking in to the green room at Worthing Theatre, and most actors who have ever worked at Worthing Theatre, it's called the Connaught Theatre in Worthing, there is something about that theatre that throws up these extraordinary storylines. They just do. Everyone has something happen to them when they go (laughs) to Connaught Theatre Worthing. And I went into the green room, which was just behind the stage, and it's where all the actors, it was the first day, everyone's a little bit nervous. And everyone's getting a cup of tea, there's a kettle, there's a cheap coffee. And I walked in and I saw this young man. He was, what, the same age as me, 21. And he turned with this amazing smile. He had... I'm sure he won't remember me saying this. He had a very big head <laughs> and a smallish a smallish body, but the amazed, amazing teeth smile. and smile. And he smiled at me and he said, do you want a cup of coffee? And on this sounds so saccharine. I just thought this person is going to play a really big part in my life. No, and I never thought amazing. like that. I don't think in cliches, yeah. I wasn't looking for anyone. And I just thought, I, I this person is going to be really important. And he was, he was in the male chorus. So I was in the female chorus, he was in the male chorus. And Jenny, we just laughed and laughed because I was the smallest member of the female chorus. And we, in this production, we had to do the can-can, which is quite a provocative dance. You show your knickers, you know. And we had to do pirouettes on diagonal across the stage. And because I, so it would take, an average size girl, someone your size, to do two pirouettes across the stage. Because I'm so short, I had to do four. I was oh like a whirling God. dervish. And he used to stand by the side of the stage and just laugh and laugh. <laughs> and we just literally fell in love. We fell in mm. love over that show. It was summer, and we would sunbathe on the flat roof of the Connaught Theatre, um, and I made a point of moving away from my family so I could be there, because we'd all go out. every. Who'd have thought Worthing even had a nightclub? Yeah. But we'd all go along the beach. We'd push each other in Tesco trolleys down. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I stayed in digs um, in Worthing, literally so that I could be there after the show every night and be with him, basically, and that's what happened. And soon after that... Um, he stayed on and did another production. I, I then left and went back up to London. And um, it was friends of ours who said, you know, why don't you get married? I think it was almost like a dare, Jenny, isn't that?
0: Really? It was almost
2: a dare. And we got married in Wilsdon Green Registry Office almost six months after we met at Worthing Rec
0: incredible and I mean you know sometimes do you think that the reason why kind of you know when you look back and you say it was kind of a bit of a dare but sometimes when you are young you are carefree and you love the idea that you just don't you can do whatever the hell you want to do and do you think it was kind of just being in the moment not thinking ahead and just doing something that just felt right then
2: it absolutely was i didn't come from a family that wanted they didn't care if i got married had children i had come from a very liberal family so there was no expectation of a big white church wedding um by then, um, he was actually rehearsing for Elvis on stage at the Astoria Theatre. So we had, you know, a quite rock and roll wedding because um, we had all the bands that he was performing with. I'd only imagine at,
0: you to have a rock and roll wedding. It really was. It yeah. was
2: quite. But the, but the other thing is, Jenny, and the, re- the reason I talk about this, and I've never ever thought about it until you said, you know, what were your three moments? Is I that was my marriage. I was, you know, tick. I was married. I loved it. I still love him. He was the man of my life. No one ever compared. Mm-hmm. We, you know, unfortunately, he was having an affair with somebody else after our brief marriage, um, which he was, you know, decent enough to tell me about. And it, oh, li- it literally broke my heart. Yeah. Um, but it was like, I did it. I did it really young in life. If I'd not gone to Worthing, i I can honestly sit here and say, I don't think I'd ever have married anybody because I never wanted to get married. Yeah. It was it was almost the perfect storm. We had this wonderful love affair. We got married. He he's now Jenny married five other women.
0: Wow. Mm. And, you and you he the lives first.
2: in Australia. Um, and all of us know each well, most of his wives know we know each <laughs> other. And you know if he walked in if he walked in behind me now and you saw him you would just laugh because he's very charismatic yeah but I just think I'm so pleased I went down there I'm so pleased I took on that job I there were no regrets I have no regrets of marrying him yeah I can I you know me I've had so much mileage on air talking about my brief wonderful marriage um and it was it was wonderful and I and I can always say yes I've been married I have I have an ex-husband, and I nearly didn't, because yeah. if I hadn't taken that job, I'd never, ever have met him. I'd exactly, never met
0: him. and it's a brilliant sliding doors moment because I think that – a few things that you said, you know, you didn't want to be in the chorus. It wasn't something that you wanted to do. You were given an opportunity. You didn't know what to do. You rang your mum. She kind of encouraged you to do it again, a split second. You could have just said no, and it never would have happened. But also you, you really mentioned, you know, the fact that you never wanted to get married. You weren't looking for it. And I often think that when we're not looking for things, that's when they come. Hence why I'm still single because I'm always looking for love and it never comes. But I think in this moment, you know, you were just going about your life and I love the way that you do describe the fact that you knew that he was going to be an important part in your life because I do think this happens to people you can meet people whether it's friends relationships and feel like there is this connection that's gonna you know change everything and what I did want to ask you is you know you say you don't regret the marriage um but what things did you learn from it so like how did the relationship change you you know you say you can tick off that you know you can now say you've got an ex-husband which is great but what what kind of you know did it teach you things and has it taught you things as you've gone along in your life
2: do you know it's because this truly is the first person first time I've ever talked about this at any length I've never ever talked about this really because I've always spoken of of it very flippantly um what it taught me was I will never find anyone like him Mm -hmm. and I you know I've I've lived a very um sexually active life (laughs) and I've had quite a few partners never would I ever Expect them to match him. I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, never would I ever fully commit to anybody like I did him. I mean, it was yeah. literally as you said. You there's nothing. I'd never been hurt ever in my life before. So he had a hundred percent of me, and no one ever had that after. Um, and it. And I. I talk about this on air a lot, actually you know, there's always a bit I think you should hold back. I always think there's a tiny bit you should hold back for the very reason that when you give it all, um, the pain is unbelievable. Even sitting, talking to you all these years later, you know, I still remember that there are parts of London, where when he told me he was having an affair, it was on Edgware Road and I can never walk down there. There's this bit of Edgware Road, I just can't go down there. so it taught me self protection it really did i i hope it didn't taught me to be, teach me to be hard i don't think i'm hard i was very soft in my following relationships you know i had wonderful loving relationships but never ever would they match
1: him.
0: yeah
2: and and you know and i didn't have to tell them i think they knew
0: that yeah and I think, you know, what, what you said at the beginning is you you didn't expect to ever have this like hard love of your life. You didn't go into life being that. So when it did come to you, again, it probably wasn't what you expected, wasn't what you expected to happen, but it did teach you things and it did kind of open up another side. And I agree with you. I think when we do have that, that one love of your life, that pain, that hurt, it does affect you and affect things, but you can also take the positives from it and I want to ask you then so what if so what if you hadn't have taken that job and what if you hadn't walked into the green room that day what how different do you think your life would be now um romantically
2: that's the only way I could professionally goodness yeah because it didn't it didn't benefit me at all I knew it wouldn't benefit me being a dancer in the chorus um in fact it prevented me from doing any acting roles not that they were throwing them at (laughs) me but I mean It,
0: it, it didn't
2: Um, But that's why it was such a sliding door moment. It was like, it was meant to happen that I was gonna go down there and have this experience because it nothing, you know, career-wise, nothing would have benefited from it. It was only the meeting of him that um, benefited from it. And um, so, yes, if I hadn't gone down there, I would never have got married. I mean, you might say, yes, Joe, you may have met another man. No, it's never happened. I think it would have, if I'd not met him, I would never have been able to have him as a sliding door. I'd never been able to have a marriage as a sliding door moment because I seriously never wanted a marriage. If I had, I would have married someone after him or so. yeah. But I just, it's not what I wanted. He was, as I say, the perfect storm. It was wonderful. Yeah. And it happened early in life, and it almost taught me how to survive. Well, it did. How to survive all the other heartaches because if I could have got over him, the rest you can get over you know it 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 taught me resilience
0: amazing and it it, you know it's a life experience and thank you for opening up and being so open about that moment because i think a lot of people will relate to it onto your second sliding doors moment so presenting a hugely popular breakfast show for bbc brighton and sussex and then was offered the graveyard shift at bbc london a much lower profile show but this was the best decision that i ever made when i took it so as we say i love a sliding doors decision because i think you're in control of this and again you made a decision that you say was the best one you ever made so do you want to explain um what made you decide to take this role and why this was the best decision that you ever made
2: yes and to go back to my my Milton quote this is exactly an example you know where I could have gone on the route that was well trod and safe or I could have gone on to a direction where I was going literally into the dark and there were few benefits that were apparent from taking it so so, to go back to when I was um, when I was working for the breakfast show in Brighton I was doing the Brighton breakfast show and one won awards for it because it was the first time Brighton had its own breakfast show on the BBC. And it was two, I think they said two out of every three people in Brighton listened to it wow. and the surrounding areas. It, because Jenny, it was pure gossip. I loved Brighton <laughs> and it Brighton's a dirty old town. So there is so much gossip, you know, it's the gay mecca of the South. Yeah. It's got, it's got a pier that was burnt down. No one's saying who burnt it down. It's got a football club that lost its pitch. They sold it under its feet. Um, you know it was such a great place to broadcast, and um, and I was like Queen of Brighton. It was I led the parade of the Pride Parade in a double decker bus. I was you know treated like royalty. I yeah. will freely admit that no, I had the I best it. time. I can it was the best time ever. Yeah. Um, and then I thought at the time, you know. I've done Brighton, it's brilliant. I would love to get on to BBC London because Danny Baker was doing the breakfast show on BBC London. And Vanessa Feltz was doing the mid morning programme. And Robert Elms was doing these are legends, broadcasting yeah. legends. And I just thought, gosh, if I could get on to BBC London, that would be such a step up for me. So I asked the editor, the then editor, David Roby, and um he said, I've got Joe, I've got nothing for you at the moment. You know, I've got and he could choose anybody. No one in London knew who Joe Good was. Nobody. Yep. And everyone in Brighton did. No one in London. He said, "I, you know, I have nothing to offer you. And I said to him, but Julie Birchall's written about me in The Guardian. And I kept sending him The Guardian <laughs> articles that Julie Birchall had written. I kept sending him these Brilliant. newspaper articles. And, um, and he never replied or anything. Anyway, part of the deal in Brighton was I also did the Brighton pantomime as um, I always played the fairy. And it was the pantomime where I met Julian Clary, so it was on Brighton Theatre Royal, massive pantomime. And I was in my dressing room, and I remember this so clearly. I went on as fairy, I came off. I'd look at my phone and see if there were any messages, and there was a message from David Roby, BBC Radio London, a text message saying, "Call me." And I thought, okay, I have to wait between the matinee and the evening show. Oh, that's I the worst it.
0: when you got to wait. Literally, yeah. I thought, oh
2: my god, oh my god. And he said to me. Joe, I have a job. I can offer you a gig, and it's the graveyard shift. So, this is 2 a.m. in the morning till six. Right?
0: And I went,
2: I know, the graveyard. And I mean, there's one thing doing the late show, but doing a graveyard shift, you are literally nocturnal. Yeah. And also, you have a limited audience, to be honest. And I said to him, Oh my gosh, I said, I'm giving up an award winning breakfast show with a massive audience to go and do a graveyard shift in a city that I don't live in. I'd have to drive, I was driving my dad's old, my dad had died, I was driving his very old car, Triumph Acclaim, up and down the N23, um, you know, all hours of the night. I said, I just I just don't think I can do it, um, Dave. I think it, it would be a silly, it would be a backward step in my career. And he said to me, and this was his expression, he said, talking about sliding doors, he said, I'm opening the door. You can either push it wide open or draw it to. I'll leave that with you.
0: Oh my gosh.
2: And that's what he said. And I often, cause he's a, he's a really good friend of mine, David Roby now. And I often talk to him about that. I saw him the week before last actually in Camden. I said, do you remember that Dave? And I remember sitting in my dressing room thinking, oh my God, what, you know, what do I do? And again, I spoke to my mum. I think I spoke to Julian Clary. I'm not name dropping because he is a close mate yeah. and a very, very approachable guy. And he said, you, should, you go to London. You need to go to London. You know? And I said, but I, that, I'm giving this up. And um, I think I know what I did, Jenny. I went to New York. I think it was the very first time I went to New York and stayed with some friends over there. And it was like I moved myself geographically away yeah. from the whole situation. And I remember being over there and thinking, okay, what's, what's to lose? You know, I'm losing a breakfast show, a high-profile breakfast show, but I'm going to London. So if that fails, I'm still doing a radio show. I'm doing yeah. it for less money, for probably no audience, but I'm still on the radio. So I came back and took the decision. And Julian Clary was on my very last breakfast show in Brighton because they did this big, you know, Joe's leaving, Joe's yeah. leaving. All the listeners were like, oh, my God, what are you doing? And I remember Julian Clary coming into the studio going, he said, they're throwing themselves under buses out <laughs> 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 And I said, I know, but I've got to do it. Yeah. Um, and so I did it. And I was driving up and down. To, I was still living in Brighton. Handed my my wonderful breakfast show over to a girl who'd come from BBC Devon called Sarah, who became a friend. Um, Julie Birchall wrote in the press, she's left and it's a massive pair of shoes that someone's got to fill. Yeah. And then I went up to London and I did the overnight show. And this is extraordinary. Danny Baker, who he would take over from me. So I would hand him, you know, I'd be on overnights. He'd come on air. For oh yeah. The
0: Cause it's six. like six in the morning. Yeah. Six in the
2: morning. So I'd come off at six. Danny would come in and Danny was phenomenal, you know massive talent, legend. And um, he won a Sony Gold, I remember this, and he left the night he won the Sony Gold. This is so Danny Baker. He left and my editor said, he just called me or emailed me or something and went, Joe, can you come and do the breakfast Show? Because Danny's not doing the breakfast Show. Can you come and do, it? we'll get someone, you know how to drive the desk, because you're all knowing how to drive yes. the desk. Can you do it? And we'll get someone to fill in on your graveyard shift. And Jenny, that was it. I got the breakfast show. I literally got the breakfast show. This
0: is literally the definition of like sliding doors moments happening in your life. Because, you know, I think what's, what's amazing is, you know, you explained how you were in Brighton. And I think we've all been in very comfortable positions before, whether it's in relationships, whether it's in jobs, where, as you say, Things just feel really good, but you do feel sometimes like you're coasting because there's only so far you can go in this situation that you're in. You're presented with something, but can I just say the way, you know, you were presented with an opportunity, but you were pushing for that opportunity. You still kind of, you know, sliding doors moments don't just happen. You have to create them and you were trying your hardest and it paid off. And I love the fact that you remember getting the text message. I love the fact that your mum is also... A part of this decision that you made, and again, you actually did say no to the opportunity, and it was someone else saying something. And it's it's a really big lesson in life to take those risks. And do you feel like you've kind of used that with other decisions you've made in your life? You know, you took that big, big risk. Then we've all, I think, a lot of us have taken risks. You know, sometimes you can't always move up in your jobs; so you've got to move sideways or move down, and to get to where you want to get to. And has it taught you to sometimes take those risks when you feel like it's the right thing to do?
2: Yes, it has, and and it was so interesting talking to you about that. Again, it's this is like a counselling session Jenny, because <laughs> I never talk, you never talk in chapters to anybody. So I hope yeah. people listening are finding this interesting because I'm finding it oh my gosh, very I cathartic. Am. Yes, <laughs> but do you know it was? It was. I remember going to New York and staying with this friend of mine and literally removing myself from all the decisions and looking at what was happening in the uk objectively and i've done that on various occasions when you it's you know often people go i'm going on holiday and i can sort stuff out and geographically removing yourself yeah. is really important because when you're in the eye of the storm you're just swimming around in all this definitely. stuff definitely once you remove yourself physically you can look at it and weigh up the pros and cons and and yeah i have um, I, again, you see, I'm in a situation where there's, I'm only responsible for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I say things on air that are very unguarded, that can get myself into trouble, but I'm not letting anyone down other than me. My mom is 99. My brother has no idea what I do. He just, you know, he flinches every time I even talk about me. So there's no one I'm letting down. Yeah. Um, so making any decisions really. it's just, again, and I started off by saying I'm very hedonistic. It's only me that it's going to affect no one else. And I tell you, Jenny, I've said this to you, if it all comes tumbling down, I'll I'll be back out there waitressing and loving it and using it as my platform because I love waitressing and that's my get-out-of-jail card. I live above restaurants. I literally will go out there and waitress and show off.
0: I mean, a part of me wants you to be able to do that. I'd love to go to a restaurant and have you as my waitress. But again, like you, you're taking opportunities, you're responsible for you, you're independent, but you're taking control of the decisions that you make. And what I love about this moment as well, that I didn't even mention was the fact that, you know, you did take that big risk and it probably felt very scary and very weird and then got offered the opportunity of a lifetime to do a breakfast show. And, you know, it really, really shows that we've got to take those opportunities. And sometimes they're not the job that you want or the thing that exactly that you want, but they will lead you to where you're meant to be. And I think that's an amazing example of that whole situation because that breakfast show changed your life.
2: You're quite right because I could have ended up on the graveyard shift for two years, you know, and I'd have to got myself out of that. I'd have to have said, "Look, I can't." You're absolutely right. I had he had no idea Danny Baker was just going to leave. Exactly. So, um, yeah, it was absolutely the right decision.
0: So, the what if, Joe? What if you hadn't have taken the graveyard shift? What if you'd stayed comfortable in Brighton? How different do you think life would be for you now? This again,
2: and I and I've told. David Roby, this, um, I I wouldn't be sitting here. I would not be living in Marylebone. I would not be wearing a silk shirt. I would not have a British bulldog. I, most of my, um, the friends I've made in the past 20 years, I wouldn't know. It is, that decision was the biggest decision, I would, more than my marriage, more than anything I've ever made in my life. That was, it gave me everything that I have now, everything because I came back to London and I'd left London. Um, as, it, as I said, I went down to Brighton when nothing was happening for me in London. You know, I was getting no acting work. I went down to Brighton. And Brighton, like, it cuddles you and it did me good to be down there. And then I came back up to London and everything, everything came from, from me being on that radio station. Yeah. Everything.
0: It's so brilliant. And it's one of my favourite Slime Doors moments. And I know our listeners will absolutely love it. So on to your last Sliding Doors moment. So meeting Anna Webb, a close friend and colleague. She was a contributor to a BBC documentary that I was making on dogs. Our friendship led to a book, a TV series and a dog-friendly radio show. So as we've said, as I said earlier, it's great when you meet people that can change your life along the way. Um, so do you want to explain how you met Anna and why this was such a Sliding Doors moment for you?
2: Um, Anna, So Anna Webb, if anyone's familiar with my show, she is the uh, dog officiado of officiado uh, of um, the barking at the moon, which we've done a dog hour on my radio show for fourteen years. And this came from me. There was a strand of the BBC on television on BBC One called Inside Out, and I oh, would yeah, often present that. them. Yeah, yeah. and um, and so I would often present them, and they came to me and they said, "There's a something's gone into the." I think it's the Collins Dictionary, called Fur Kid. And it refers to women who are child-free or childless who treat their dogs as children. And so it's now in the vernacular. It's called Fur Kid. And we want to make a very short documentary for Inside Out on this, finding women who are familiar. Now, I didn't even have a dog at the time. I wasn't particularly dog-friendly or anything. I was just a journalist asked to present it. And what they often do is they would, because they're very short, they're eight-minute films, and you have, have to make them very, very quickly and fit it in with your radio work, they would often send the researcher out, to, you know this, Jenny, to do the talking heads. Yeah. So they would get the contributor, put a camera on them, ask the questions off camera, just use the answers, and that would go into the film.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's what they often did, and I would link it all together as a presenter. Sometimes I'd go on location to the person or whatever. With this one, there was they had loads and loads of uh, women they wanted to contribute. So they said, look, we're going to do Summer's Talking Heads, Joe, You don't have to come out, um, and you just link it together. Um, and then we've got a couple. We'd love it if you would go, because um, it's it's near to the BBC. You can get there quite quickly. One of them is called Anna Webb. She lives in Islington. Um, if you could go with the crew and interview her, it'd be great. Bring it back, and we'll fit it all together. And the others will just do Talking Heads. You yeah. don't have to meet them. I went along to Anna's, and she lived in this amazing basement flat in Islington, where everything was dogs. So the door knocker was dog. <laughs> oh my God. You go in, but not naff dogs. Beautiful. So yeah. the artwork is amazing. Her, she grew up with Brian Adams, the rock star, yes. and he photographed her. He ended up photographing my dog. Um, he pictures of Brian Adams with the dogs all down. She's wow. a real rock chick. Yeah. She was like me. It was like I met myself.
1: Really? 10 years
2: younger, and she'd got these bull terriers, and we interviewed um, her about, you know, these dogs and how that she never wanted children like I did. So we did this interview, and I always remember this because I knew the director really well. I'd done loads of films with him and the sound guy, and Anna and I were like, blah, 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 and the dogs were everywhere, and I remember, I remember the director saying to me halfway through, he went, I've got to get out of here. I just got to get out. Of here. <laughs> What's the matter? And he went, Oh my God, the two of you are just doing my head and I can't take her. I can't take the dogs. I can't take your voices. It's and much. he went out and he was having a cigarette in the garden. And I went, Are you all right? And he went, Oh my God. He said, It's like there's double of you. And um, I said, I know. I said, How have I never met her before? Anyway, after that, she was on the documentary. We ended up going out, having a drink. She became. Honestly, Jenny, she became and is one of my closest friends. And what we've done together, we have, we've <laughs> we've written the book together. We've done Barking at the Moon when the BBC went, what do you mean you want to do something <laughs> about dogs? We smuggled people like Macy Gray and her dog into BBC Studios. We interviewed Robbie William with all his dogs. You know, half the time, because we were doing it at night,
0: yeah. the
2: boss didn't even know what we were doing. We wrote this book. Um, we went on Alan Titchmarsh every week. We were the dog, <laughs> the dog experts on live afternoon I television. Love that. And we we just and this is I mean, when we did that because I, I love fashion so much. When we were on television, I said, Anna, you, we've got to wear the same because it's easier on the eye if we're both wearing the same for the viewer. And um, so we would always wear the same outfits. We would beg them from somewhere, in Marylebone High Street. And we got this email from this viewer going, "We love that you dress the same. Are you lesbian? <laughs> and I always remember saying, "No, we're not, but I don't think lesbians always dress the exactly. same." Exactly. It was the weirdest, was oh the weirdest my gosh. thing. And but, when did you get um, a dog then? So then um, I then got my dog. I got Matilda. Um, I was with, oh gosh, that's a whole, I was with a, a partner who worked on the same radio station. He wanted a bulldog. I wanted a bulldog. When we got Matilda. And and she's a bull breed and Annas were bull breeds. And so we, the dog thing, you know, that joined us together. And then, as I say, we built, I mean, I'm probably as well known as being that mad dog woman from the BBC yeah. as I am for anything else. Um, and that's down to Anna. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we've been through a lot together, Anna and I.
0: Yeah it's a lovely lovely story because you know you meet so many people you interview so many people and there are just some people in life that when you meet them you just click beyond another level and it's very rare to find that so when you do it's amazing that you can nurture it and I love this story because, you know, you just met her through doing a documentary, but you just got on so well. And then to then kind of spark off this idea. So where did the idea originally come from for Barking Blondes? Because, you know, that probably solidified your friendship even more. And as you say, kind of made you even more well known.
2: It totally did. Because of the documentary, I then asked her on my radio show, and I said, can you just come on and talk about fireworks? I think it was something about dogs getting scared of fireworks. And she came on, and the phones went crazy with people wanting to talk about um, dogs and fireworks. And so the next week, I said to her, could you come on and we'll do something else, like, you know, what to feed dogs? Because she is also a canine nutritionist. I always say Anna is half dog. True, she, yeah, she doesn't get offended. She sounds like it. So she came, she came on, and at this point, Jenny, I was on The Late Show, which I'd done many years ago. I think it was 10 years ago. No, how long have I known Anna? So no, it would have been 14 years ago. So they let me pretty much put into that show whatever I wanted. So I said, okay, we're going to do dogs for an hour, call it Barking at the Moon. And in those days, we brought dogs into the studio. So the dogs would come up in the lift. We had everyone with their dogs coming in. We had Mika and his dog. I'm trying to remember we had Will Young and his Amazing. dogs. They would all come up and they would talk more about their private lives if you could let them talk about of their course, dogs. Of course, yeah. But Jenny, we did Crafts. We went and broadcast Crafts at night. Oh, live. That
0: was brilliant. Live
2: from Crafts when there were no dogs around, but we'd got all the owners who's staying up there with their dogs. We did Anna and I did ridiculous things. I mean, there were things that brought us together, like the night my mother had a stroke, I was with Anna. In her flat in Islington, choosing photographs for our book, you know they they um, they sent us all the photographs and said, "Can you choose the cover?" And I remember my, the phone going, and it was my brother saying my mother had a stroke, and I was to get to the hospital. And I always remember Anna saying, "Go, go! I'll call you and tell you where the hospital is," because I had no idea. I yeah. just knew I had to drive, and she called me, said, "Right, you need to go this direction." That. You know, they are amazing. You must have a best friend where you just, yeah. you go through so much together.
0: And for all the, like, fun, amazing stuff that you've done with dogs and everything like that, there must be some incredible, you know, moments of friendship that, you know, if you hadn't have met her, just wouldn't, you life wouldn't be the same.
2: She is, um she, you know, that expression soulmate. Yeah. Literally, literally the soulmate. And the only person... I would ever trust my dog with when I go away. I would, you know, I hate leaving my dog with anyone, but with Anna, my dogs have a better time than when they're with me because she just, everything revolves around the dog. Her mother got dementia the same time my mother got dementia. That you know, we've been through loads and loads together, Anna yeah. and I.
0: And it's a beautiful story of how, you know, it's, you're very, very lucky if you can meet someone in your life that kind of you connect with this well and you can kind of have as a constant, you know, I think relationships, whether they're love, marriage or friendship, you know, as long as we've kind of confined something like that, it's really unique. And again, I'm going to ask you the what if question, what if you hadn't have met Anna that day? Like, do you think your path sort of crossed? Do you think you would have met her? How different do you think your life would be? It, if I had met Anna... The whole dog thing would never have happened. I'd have a dog,
2: but it would never have become a very important part, going back to me again, me, me and my career. Everything comes back to my career. But it's a really important part of my career, the dog thing. It's how I got to meet loads of celebrities through the dog thing, through Anna and doing Barking at the Moon. So uh, career-wise, it's really um, benefited me. But it benefited her because... She wasn't into the media at all. She was just living her life. She's now on Jeremy Vine. She's the go-to. If anyone wants dog advice, she's all over the BBC,
0: yeah.
2: LBC, GB News, Talk Radio. They go to Anna because she's been on my show. So, And it's interesting what you say when you meet someone that is that, especially as it was later in my life, I had enough friends. I didn't need, I wasn't yeah. seeking another female friend. You know, I met her. In my fifties, and usually you're quite intolerant of people. The older you get,
0: (laughs) definitely with that.
2: Do you know? But she was she. It was like it was meant to be that she came into my life.
0: Definitely meant to be. And Joe. I've loved talking about your moments. I mean, if I was excited, this is like surpassed my expectations. Your moments are brilliant. I've loved finding out all about your life and all about how things have connected. And it's been brilliant just to hear all about kind of, you know, your outlook. And I think our listeners will really, really resonate with it and just massive, massive luck for the rest of your, I mean, for the beginning of your new radio show. I love it. Everyone, please listen. I'm on it sometimes on Chewing the Fat and I absolutely love it. So um, just keep doing what you're doing and I take inspiration from you every day. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your moments.
2: Jenny, just could, I always have to have the final say. So can I say this? First of all, anyone that listens, Jenny is one of our favorites. She knows that. We have a handful of favorites. But also, can I just say, you are really good at what you do. This has been this has been like in the psychiatrist chair. You should go for that gig. It, I honestly feel like I'm in the psychiatrist chair. It, I feel lighter having oh. unloaded all that
0: good joe well i'm here i'm here whenever you need a chat <laughs> thank you so much joe thank you thanks jenny bye bye thank you so much for listening to this episode of sliding doors if you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring i would love it if you could rate review share and subscribe thank you so much